Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org or to discover about our radio ministry and our fellowship here in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We take up a consideration of Psalm 14 today. Like David, we look over the past events leading up to the present moment and the present events and see our perilous times are the result of a basic denial of God at the heart of humankind. That denial is not a scientific or intellectual conclusion. It's a moral one, or we should say an amoral one. Those who deny God simply don't want him casting a shadow over their moral choices. Well, let's go to Psalms chapter 14. We read here to the chief musician, a psalm of David. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord? There they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord shall bring back the captivity of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel. The idea here would be still be glad. If David were writing a thesis paper, he has a thesis stated right at the very beginning. Basically what he says is the atheist is a fool. Or another way of saying it, atheists are fools. That's his thesis. And he's going to give us three reasons for that. This psalm is somewhat of a retrospective. David, as he is writing this, is musing over past events. He is likely doing it. He's prompted to do it because of current events. His eyes are on the growing tide of godlessness in his age. And it makes him think of and meditate upon past ages in which that godlessness rose to such an extent that it tipped the scales and tipped the universe or the earth into judgment. And so David, who was one who would regularly meditate upon God's word, and he tells us that in a number of occasions, read Psalm 119. Here it appears that he is reviewing the case of humanity before events like the flood, events like the Tower of Babel, events like that before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's looking at the state of that society and of human nature in those moments. And he identifies with the lessons that are contained there. And he understands something. History repeats itself. What's happened then is going to happen again. And it seems, it's so David is writing saying, it seems that it's happening all around me right now. When we look at our day and age, and we might see the encroachment of things that seem to be an increasing godlessness, we identify these events and what's happening with things that we read at the back of our Bibles in the book of Revelation. We identify them with future events that are coming. We see the things that are happening in our day and age, and we say, we're in the end times. 
we're in the last days. We are approaching those things that were foretold would take place in the future. And so when we see evil sweeping through our lands, we project our time towards the end time and the day of God's final judgment, and it's understandable. Peter spoke over those final days in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 2-3. through 3. This is what he says. Speaking of those last days, and tell me if you don't identify with this. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Read it. You study your own newspaper. You say, oh, we're there. We're in the last days. We identify with it with the end times. But you know, you don't have to go to the end of the book to make an identification with these events. You can go to the beginning of your book and say, oh, this is just like it's been in the past. In fact, that's also Peter's point. This is just like it was before the flood. This is just like it was before the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. 2 Peter chapter 2 again, verses 4-10. through 10. Let's read on. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and if He did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and who despise authority. Peter's observation here is David's observation in the psalm. David is retrospectively looking back to what's happening and that happened in the past, and he's saying it seems to be happening here in the present. And it's going to ultimately be fulfilled in a one climatic finality in the end. The question we have to ask is, how does the world get to that point? How does it get to the point of the distress of the day of the flood? How does it get to the point of the distress in the day and the judgment of the day of Sodom and Gomorrah? How does it get to the point in which judgment comes upon the land in David's day and the days preceding his day? And how does it get to our day and how will it get to the last days? And notice something, by the way, that we learn in all this and the observation is. The observation is the end. In the end, the, the wicked will be destroyed and those who claimed or are claimed as righteous will be saved. Note also, the wicked will be many and the righteous will be few. Noah, eight. Lot, one. A couple of daughters that were thrown in as well as a blessing. Few. And the same will be all throughout human history. And one day, finally, human history will turn one last time and it will continue to repeat itself until one day this will happen again on a very, very, very large, universal scale. How does it come about? How does it begin? What is the dastardly seed that is once planted produces this horrific fruit God says by the Holy Spirit through the psalmist David, the answer is, the cause of this is atheism.
Atheism means no God. Basically, atheism is a tenet. It is an established mindset that denies God. It is the denial of God. And what David says here is, the atheist is a fool. He's a fool for three reasons. He's a fool because he doesn't discern where his atheism comes from. He doesn't discern what his atheism produces in his own life and character. And he has not discerned and learned from history what the end of atheism will bring and accomplish, what it will bring upon him. As a result, he is a fool. So let's look at his outline here. Let's consider it first, why the atheist is a fool. By the way, the word fool in Hebrew there is the word nabal. And Nabal means a faded flower, a dead flower, or a dried up leaf. It's the picture of something that is drained of natural life and wisdom. It is drained of the sap of understanding. It's drained of the sap of understanding. Now it is a dead thing that's just blowing in the wind, an empty thing without any sense. It's a fool. David has not here not just one individual in mind. He says the fool is said in his heart, but then right after that, he says they are corrupt. He's speaking of something broader, something on a larger scale. He's looking at this encroachment, this thought, this attitude. Actually, what he has in mind is a sweeping attitude. He has in mind a developing character. He has in mind a devastating outcome. When he thinks of atheism, he thinks of the idea, the attitude. He thinks of the character it develops. He thinks of the outcome that it brings about. These are the three points at which, by the way, he identifies the foolishness of atheism. And he says now it is growing to such an extent that it seems that everyone is this way. It seems that everywhere you look and that God looks, this is all he sees, is he sees the attitude of atheism. And we're seeing the character of atheism. And we're going to experience the outcome of atheism. In the days of Noah, in the days of the Tower of Babel, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, in David's current day, it seems as though the world is full of atheists. It seems that it's become a universal attitude or idea that is tilting the world, has in the past tilted the world into ruin and is one day going to tilt it in ruin again. That's what he's speaking about. So here's what it is. Atheism. The first reason atheists are fools is because they do not discern where their atheism rises from. David says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. In his heart there is no God. Think about it for a second. Put in your mind your idea of an atheist. Usually, if you were to identify and take a snapshot of an atheist, you would see him in the lab coat of a scientist. You would put in your mind the image of a professor in a tweed jacket lecturing in some philosophy hall in some great tower of learning on some school or campus of great study. You might have in your mind the image of uh, some earthy Birkenstock-wearing evolutionary biologist. There's your picture of the atheist. Or of some hand-wringing student who is struggling at his university with the problem of evil. How can there be a God when there's so much evil and pain in the world? You say, there it is. There's your picture. There's what I have in mind of the atheist. But that is not where atheism rises. That is not the point at which atheism introduces itself to the individual or to the world. It's not in the mind that atheism comes about. It's not the outcome of thinking too much or learning too much or being too scientific and giving yourself the scientific considerations. It's not the result of contemplating 
mysteries and contradictions and riddles as you consider the earth like a young college student might do. No, that is not where atheism rises, where it's born. It rises, we are told, in the human heart, not in the human mind. Theoretical atheism and intellectual atheism, the idea that a person posits theoretically there is absolutely no absolute, there's absolutely no God, there's no meaning to the universe. It's all random, there's no God. This is not what happens first. First the heart turns from God. God is always present, speaking. God is always stirring within his creatures a sense of himself, a sense of his presence. First the heart must turn from God. The heart turns to its own will. The heart turns to its own desires. The heart turns to seek its own way. And in order to comfortably do that, the heart must turn from God. Maybe first by re-identifying Him, redefining Him, re-establishing a concept of Him, maybe creating an idol of Him in her mind, but eventually the idol becomes unnecessary. This happens long before the mind ever turns. In fact, for most... The individual can go on saying throughout their lives, with their lips, that they believe in God. They can profess Him with their minds. They might even have the mental argument for the existence of God, but in their hearts, they're already atheists. They're practical atheists. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.